We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is the field of 68. I don't even know if you can call this Best Bets podcast today, Jeff. No. We don't have any games to talk about. It is not Best Bets. It's just the field of 68 uh, season-ending wrap-up podcast today. That's what it is, Rob. It is a season-ending wrap-up podcast. That is for sure. Your Baylor Bears are your 2021 national champions. Jeffrey, you were in the building. What was it like talking through that moment? You uh, you had a little bit of uh, screen time at the end. Did you know that? Yeah, somebody sent me the video. They're like, yeah. I, I started looking at my phone or something. I don't know. Yeah, you, you looked like a goofball, which is uh, yeah, well, very on brand for you. So it's not not surprising. Exactly, you know? exactly. No surprise, no surprise. It was um, it was not the game most of us thought we'd get. Uh, I thought we could get it. I, I really did. I, I won't lie to you. I thought there was a chance we could get that type of game. Uh, I was hoping for a close game. We didn't get that. I mean, Gonzaga never actually put any game pressure on Baylor the entire game. I mean, think about that. 40 minutes. Not once was was the game in question. That's how dominant Baylor was from the get-go. That's how much, honestly, Baylor was overmatched athletically, physically, um, everything. I mean, everything. Baylor, listen, Baylor made shots early too, right? That was huge. Defensively, you knew they were going to potentially make it difficult for guys like Kispert, Timmy, even Suggs to some degree because Suggs, I know he got in early foul trouble, but even if he hadn't, I'm still not sure he was going to have an easy time getting by Baylor's guards because not only did you have to get by them, but then there was help. So yeah. I, I think that's the biggest thing for Baylor is like, okay, if Davion Mitchell's on you, you may not get by him. But like you said, on switches, he could get by some of those other dudes, but there, there was always somebody waiting for him. Yeah, you know, I think the biggest issue, honestly, was that – there's no way – we talked about this last night on the postgame stream. There is no possible way for you to prepare for the kind of ball pressure that you're going to get when you're playing against Baylor. You just cannot do it. You cannot You cannot match it in practice. You, you're not going to see it anywhere else in games. They What they can do defensively is unlike, unlike a defense that anybody else in college basketball is going to play. And I don't think that Gonzaga was ready for it. And it took them about eight minutes of game How could time. they be? How That's could what they be with who they've played all year? I mean, like, even the great no, it's teams. Not that. They- I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters who okay, they played fair. this season. Like, it's not – because there's, there's just no way they can replicate. 
Yeah, but I don't think there is anything close. And, and that's and the problem is that yeah. they they got they weren't ready for it. For the first eight minutes, they were not ready for it. Baylor jumped all over him. And once again, Zaga finally settled into the game and realized what it was going to be like and, were, and, and kind of accepted the fact that, okay, we can't do this. We can't do this. We can't be loose with the ball. We can't have Drew yeah. Timmy trying to do these stupid dribble-through moves. Um, once they figured that out, then they kind of played Baylor to a standstill, and we saw just why Gonzaga was the best team in the country for for most of the season. Um, but they just they were not prepared for it at the jump. Uh, I think uh, if you play this game ten times, or if you played a seven game series, this goes at least six. Because I don't think that that Gonzaga um, after they get the they feel it one time, I don't think that they are as caught off guard by the, the pressure. Like, look, Corey Kispert was downright bad in this game. Drew Timmy was downright bad in this game. Corey Kispert can't get by dudes. He can't really well, get by these guys. Yeah, but that's not why he's out there. You well, don't have okay, you don't have Corey gonna, Kispert out there. They're going to press I, up on him. They're, they're yeah, still – no, yeah, but, yeah, but the issue was he wasn't making the open jump shots. Jalen Suggs wasn't ready and able to run the offense. Drew Timmy wasn't able to do what he normally does in the post. He was flustered. Andrew Nemhard wasn't able to be effective. Joel Yai wasn't able to be effective. They weren't. Andrew Nemhard could play him 50 times. He's overmatched against that team. He's ineffective against that team. He is. Yes, he is. But, I mean, it's the other guys that aren't. Like The the issue was once they settled into their rhythm – they were able to kind of play that thing to a stand. So they got it to nine a couple times. You got to remember, they were down by like 19 at one point in the first half. And it didn't help that Baylor made, I think they hit seven of their first, they hit their first five and seven of the first nine threes. And when you have a team that's able to do what they can do defensively with their ball pressure and that's able to shoot threes um, the way that they can shoot threes, if they're making them like that, there's there's nothing that you're going to be able to do. Um, well, so I, I, I don't think like you, you cannot convince me. There's no way you can convince me that Baylor is 16 points better than this Gonzaga. No, no, they played 10 times. Gonzaga's winning three and a half of them, at least. But, I, but here's my other take, and, and tell me what you think about this. Um, I think that Baylor's shutdown. The biggest thing it did was delay the inevitable narrative that we all realized Baylor was the best team in the country, and it was Baylor and not Gonzaga that was. The historically it. great team I, on this, this. I've said this it all year, Rob. Season. Rob, do you remember who said that all year? Who picked Baylor preseason? Who stuck with Baylor through the pause? Who picked Baylor before the tournament? Who do you remember who that was? Um, definitely not you. Um, really, it was not me. We're gonna have to rewind the tape on this one. We're 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 gonna have to uh, to check the facts on this one. Um, but yeah, I mean, the biggest thing was so the day after they beat Texas. If you go back and look at Ken Palm's rankings, like. There's there's a significant gap between Baylor and Gonzaga at the top of Ken Palm's rankings, um, and it, yeah, I think the biggest thing was that look, and this is this is a rant that I think we need to go on too about how one if you're if you're going to come out here and say that like Gonzaga is overrated and that this loss is a referendum on their program and it's a fact that they shouldn't be playing in the WCC like. Get the fuck out of my face with that. Like, I don't even want to hear it, okay? They have played in two of the last four national championship teams. They have played in four of the last six Elite Eights. They've been to sweet, to six Sweet 16s. Jeff, I want you to tell me right now, because I looked it up. I, I, I have this yeah. fact. Yeah. Name all of the teams since the tournament expanded to, uh, to 64 teams in 1985. In the last 36 years, name all of the teams and, and when they made it to six straight Sweet 16s. 
Can you? Yeah. Do you know who it is? No, no. Uh, North Carolina did it from 1985 to 1993 under Dean Smith. Uh, Roy Williams did it from – no, I'm sorry. Coach K did it from 1986 to 1992 and 1998 to 2006. Gonzaga did it from 2015 to 2021. That's it. That is the entire list of teams that have made six straight sweet 16s since the tournament expanded to 30. uh, Yeah, no, it's uh, stupid. It's stupid for anybody to hammer Gonzaga. Now, again, would Mark Few prefer to play in the Pac-12? Yeah, probably. Probably. Uh, but they can't get in the Pac-12 because they don't they don't have football. So ultimately, they're not going to get in the Pac-12. They're in the WCC. You can condemn him and them for it all you want, but uh, there's no other option there. What he does do is is rack up as many difficult non-conference matchups as he can and hope that the WCC he got a change to. They only play 16 league games because of Mark Few because he wanted more flexibility and more opportunities to load up in the non-conference schedule. So, listen, they beat all comers other than Baylor. Uh, Did I think they were the best team in the country? No, I thought it was going to be Baylor. I I really did, and I believed that all along. But it doesn't take much away from uh, Gonzaga in the fact that they have been uh, and will continue to be terrific. And uh, I have them at number one right now in my early, early, early preseason top 25 because they could be sitting on a front line. Is the most yeah. pointless thing that any of you guys have ever, ever done. Like, of course, 30% of all college basketball players are in the transfer portal right now. We're going to have another like 200 end up declaring for the NBA draft and going through all of the uh, the workouts and the testing and all of that. Like, why? It's it's pointless, man. Like, doing that, I there is nothing that makes me happier than not having to do that exercise this year because it is just so. Well, dumb. you know, why? Um, I don't mind doing it. I don't mind doing it because I have all the rosters with every team. So it's kind of one of those things that is constantly moving, and I'll be updating the rosters for me as well as fans. So it's oh, fine. No, I, I, get it. It. I get it. I get it. You mean like the amount of traffic that, that I would get at NBC Sports for yeah. putting together the top 25 and being able to SEO the hell out of it? But yep. it, it was crazy. It was insane. Um, but last, last point on Gonzaga. For all the people that are saying their schedule is soft and they're weak and they don't play anybody, these are the teams that they beat this season. Kansas, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Oklahoma, Creighton, USC, and UCLA. Eight of the, the, all eight of those teams are top 40 on Kempom. Oklahoma is the only one that ranks outside the top 25 on Kempom. They won those games by an average of 13.4 points. Uh, the UCLA win in overtime was the only game that was in single digits. BYU. Is a top 20 team on Kempom. They were a number six seed in this year's NCAA tournament. They won by uh, Gonzaga beat them by 17, by 11 at their place. And in the WCC tournament title game, they beat them by 10 on a night where BYU shot 69% nice in the first half and uh, led by double digits for most of the first half. Um, And the last thing that I just want to say about them is that um, look, if it's so easy to go undefeated in that conference, right? Explain to me how San Francisco, who went four and nine in the WCC, was able to beat a West Virginia team that won the ACC regular season title, right? It's yep. it's not easy to go undefeated in any conference, especially when your team is going to get everybody's best shot in that league. So, look, you you can say all you want about the fact that 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 Gonzaga got punked by Baylor last night because they did they got punked by Baylor last night um Baylor is also a team that 
maybe would be sitting here with a chance to go undefeated if they hadn't had a COVID shutdown. That's how good they are. There's been yep. – how about this, Jim? There's been no team in the history of college basketball, at least that I can find, that has done these three things. They, that is ranked in the top five in three-point field goal shooting percentage, in offensive, rebound, uh, offensive rebounding percentage, and defensive turnover rate, right? They, better than anybody else, they were able to maximize the number of possessions, the number of shots they got, and they did the one thing that makes you the most efficient team possible better than anybody else, and that's make threes. So, look, if you're Gonzaga was the second best team in college basketball this season. I think that was very, very clear. Um, they completely overrun Gonzaga. Hey, here's my question, Rob. For, forget about Gonzaga for right now because they lost. Um, let's talk about the fact that if Baylor hadn't had a pause, would we have been looking at an undefeated Baylor team potentially out of the I, Big I, 12? I think, I think so. I mean, think about it. Scott Drew did make a mistake. I, I, I should have asked him about it last night or even this morning when we, we talked. But he did make a mistake in, in – coming back from the pause too quickly, right? Two practices, they play Ohio State. Um, they, they look like absolute garbage. And then four days, they, they, win, they win that one. Four days later, they lose to Kansas fairly handily. So that one, to me, was kind of a throwaway game. I know people were like, ah, no, it's still Kansas. They beat Kansas nine out of ten times if they played. We know that. Maybe 19 out of 20 times. The one that people will say, well, they lost Oklahoma State in the Big 12 tournament that was weeks after the pause. It was, but ultimately the problem with that, Rob, is they had so many games jammed in because of the pause into a short period of time that they didn't look the same defensively. They hadn't had a chance to practice at all. It was, as Scott Drew told you and I uh, when we had him on our show, it was game, prep, game, prep. Maybe you have one practice here or there but they didn't have a chance to get their defense back. And we, we saw in the last two games what Baylor's defense looks like when it's back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we did, man. We saw we saw peak Baylor. Um, I will say this. I think the loss to Oklahoma State in the Big 12 tournament, I don't think yeah. that you can necessarily chalk that one up to COVID. I think that Oklahoma State went out there and beat them. That was – I believe it was three weeks after their pause – uh, they had like a little four-day window in there to kind of get some practice in. So I don't think that you can chalk that one up necessarily to COVID. Um, but I do think that uh, if they don't have this pause, um, there's a very real chance that they're making a run in an undefeated season. So we don't know how that could have played out, which which sucks. But, you know, it, that's just kind of a, the sign of the times. I think they probably did get a little bit of a, a benefit based off the way that their schedule worked out and the fact that other teams that they played probably had to deal with um, COVID pauses as well, but uh, I do think I do think that. Would, let, let me ask you this: Where does this Baylor team rank in terms of the pantheon of like the greatest teams that you've covered and the greatest teams that you've seen um, since you've been doing this? Because I think they're up there. Yeah, I, I think they're probably certainly in, in the top like five of the team. You know, it's hard to say. I'd have to really go through it, but. You know, listen, those Florida teams that won back-to-back titles, they were they were unbelievable to me. I mean, again, and they had pros and pros, right? Like they had, obviously, Noah and Horford were terrific. Corey Brewer played a long time in the league, and they had really good guards that were unselfish. You know, that's the one 
common bond between uh, the, those Florida teams and this Baylor team is they play together. Like the, this Baylor team was just so much fun to watch because they shared the – they weren't shot hunting. Like did anybody ever shot hunt on this Baylor team all year? Um, Rarely. If ever. I mean, maybe Butler once in a while, but not well, really. Yeah, but it was also part of – part of Scott Drew's game plan was like, all right, we're going to try to get this. We're going to try to get this. And if it doesn't work, all right, Maceo, you go beat this guy one-on-one because he can't guard you. Right. Like part of his, part of his game plan was like, he had guys that could shot hunt and get a bucket, you know? So, um, yeah, I just, I think what makes it so impressive to me is they were. And what makes them so impressive to me is the way that they all fit together and how effective, Scott Drew was able to build the system around all of those guys. So when you have when you have four guards as skilled as those dudes that can guard the way that they can guard and defend the way that they can defend, uh, and you have bigs that are able to just accept that like we're going to set a screen and roll hard and space the floor with a bunch of shooters. Like this was a very very NBA esque uh, style of play that Scott Drew had put together. And I just I honestly when they're making their threes, I don't know how you beat them. I honestly do not know how you beat them. And, and yes, uh, we, we were texting last night with the coach that, that basically said, like, the best – what you got to do is you got to play in zone, uh, play four and five, and just don't guard a big guy. Well, yes, that works to a point. Um, well, then they just but, put Vital at five. Yeah, but, like, Vital does – I think you're better off having um, everyday John at the five there because he's he, he's a little bit better at, uh, at, like, catching lobs around the rim, and he's a little bit bigger. Um, but I, I, I just – they're so good. So they're, they're such a good passing team. When when Gonzaga went zone, uh, their their counter was to just run Macy Oteague to the high post, and he hit fifteen foot jumpers the whole day. Um, I don't I don't think that Gonzaga necessarily has the the players on their roster to effectively run a zone, but it just I mean, look when when, well, when Scott Drew tried anything. I mean, he tried anything and everything because he had no choice. I mean, like Mark somebody Mark tweeted Hugh. out. I'm Mark Few. I'm sorry. Um, when they played 22 possessions of zone all year, and, and he knew. I mean, they had no choice at that point because when, again, they couldn't stop Baylor one on one. They they couldn't. It, the 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 disparity in athleticism right away, Rob, was unbelievable in the building. Mm-hmm. It was like, and not just with the guards. It was um to me, and I, I kind of said this. I think yesterday was the athleticism. How is Timmy gonna handle? these dudes coming out three of them. Yeah. That was the thing. Like he, he was completely flustered and and that's the guy. So you mentioned that, that Kispert didn't play well. Um, I, I wasn't, I'm not worried about the performance that Kispert had necessarily, because I think that's just kind of like, sometimes you're going to miss some shots, right? I know, but you got to have it. You got to have it in that game. When Suggs picks up two fouls, you have no choice. You have to have Kispert and a Yai didn't score but, early. Probably, no. Like if you don't have, if Suggs isn't creating and if Timmy isn't creating, then where's Kispert going to get the shots from? You don't have anyone that's going to create those shots for him. I don't think Kispert got exposed. Somebody in our chat said Kispert got exposed. Here's the thing with Kispert. He is what he is. And, and yes, he's not a guy that is going to be able, like at the next level. You're not going to look for Corey Kispert to start putting the ball on the floor and make a ton of yeah. plays. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like he's not his His role is to catch and shoot. And if you have no one that can throw him the ball to but catch in the WCC, he could do more than that. But the problem is in the WCC, 
he got used to being able to do more than that. So their offense wasn't just about him standing in the corner. It was like he could get by dudes. Last night, he tried. He couldn't get by dudes. Yeah, I guess. The, but the, the issue wasn't Kispert, though. The, the issue was the fact that Drew Timmy was completely ineffective. Like, that is what Baylor, the Gonzaga's offense is built around. Throwing the ball into Timmy in the post and letting him make something happen. Running running actions that allow him to get out on the perimeter and make a play off Double the bounce teams. and read the game right. because of what he can do. And he like he could not do anything against those Baylor bigs. And uh, to me, that's the big one where it's like, okay, maybe after he's seen them once and gotten used to it a little bit, then it's something where he could be more effective and understand like, hey, look, I'm not going to be able to do that thing where I try to dribble through two guys and throw it out in front of me because there's too many quick hands on Baylor. He did that three times and it led to turnovers. Um, so great, great weak side day too. Great weak side day for Baylor last night. I mean, that's what they do. That's that's what they do. That's how their their offense is built, and um, or their defense is built. I'm sorry, and and I I thought that, uh, you know, the big thing was they it took them seven or eight minutes to be able to figure out how they wanted to run half court offense, and when it takes you that long to be able to figure out what you're going to do against a team that is going to go out and make their first five three-pointers and seven of their first nine three-pointers, you just you just don't have a chance because we, we talked about it. There was no way that Gonzaga was going to be able to stop Baylor. I think everybody, including you, assumed that, that Gonzaga was going to be more effective offensively than they were. Yep. You, you, you don't become a juggernaut offensively and you just assume like, oh, okay, yeah, it's not going to work. Um, and it just didn't work. I don't care and how much. As simple as that. Rob, I wonder how much too after the, the you know like three days ago, three nights ago, we saw Houston, and early on, I really felt like Houston right away knew we're we're overmatched. Like first four minutes, it was like oh, oh shit, like we 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 can't beat this team. I wonder like if if Gonzaga early on in that game, especially with Suggs picking up two fouls, but but even if he hadn't, I wonder if they were just like oh man, we like we've never seen this before. Um, they're a better team than us. Like I, I, I'm sure in their head they're not thinking that necessarily. They're a no, better I, team. Than I, bet they, I bet they were. I bet it. I bet it hit them because everybody, like it was, everybody yeah. saw it. And I don't know if it was necessarily. Uh, look, the, Gonzaga was was an unbelievable basketball team this year. Like the, I, no matter what happened in this game, they were an unbelievable basketball team, um, and that should not be taken away. I, I think that what happened was they got punched in the mouth. And sometimes you get punched in the mouth in basketball. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think it was really just that simple. And, and um, all the credit, though, has to go to Baylor for, like, the performance that they had. I mean, look, that oh, yeah. they are so good. They are they, they, they are so good. It was They're so fun to watch. They're all going to come back for another year, Rob. They're all going to come back for another year. Did you know <laughs> that? Everybody. The whole team. We'll, we'll, we'll see. That'd be cool. We'll Wouldn't see. that be cool if they came back? They're like really, actually, really like each other, and we like our coach because he's like the nicest human being in the world. Yeah, so, I, I would be, I would be very surprised if Davion Mitchell comes back after the he, the tournament. He that he had. I mean, yeah, he shouldn't he, come back. Come on, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Where, here, where, but, no, I'm just in all seriousness though. Where, where do you think he gets picked? Because if I'm an NBA GM, I don't know yeah. if there are. If there are six players that I would take over him, like I, yeah, I, the, top, the top five is the top five is is obvious, right? And the top five is awesome, but 
I mean, he might be the sixth. Well, you know who went? You know who went number six in the NBA draft back in 2014? Marcus Smart. Why can't Davion Mitchell be as good, he, if not oh, better? He's better. He's better. He's better. Like I, I agree. No joke. No joke. I think yes. that he can be somewhere between a Kemba Walker and a Donovan Mitchell, and here's why: um, the quickness, like his ability to get by people, matches that of Kemba. Now he doesn't have the handle, and he doesn't quite have the like the step back game and the ability to create space and isolation that Kemba does, because Kemba can do that and maybe the best ball handler in the NBA. But his ability to get by someone with his first step is unmatched. Um, his shot making off the bounce to me is very similar to that of Donovan Mitchell. Like the one thing, Jeff, when you go back and watch tape of Donovan, of, uh, of Davion Mitchell, watch yeah. how quick his feet are off the dribble at getting set and getting a shot off. Um, he's it's really amazing. good. At playing, he's yeah. really good at playing off of hang dribbles, which is like when you come down and you set someone up, like you're about to cross them over. And then instead of crossing over, you just go straight up into a jump shot. Yeah. He's really good at playing off those. Um, what isn't he good at? What isn't he good at Rob? That's what I, like, I didn't think he was a good point guard. Like, I thought his feel was questionable going into the year, and especially last year when I saw him in Myrtle Beach. Man, has he gotten better. His passing, like, he can make all the passes that you need yes. to make. Um, yes. He's the, – the big thing, I think, is this. One is he's probably, like, six one, right? And as good as he was, I'm not sure – I'm not entirely convinced that he's a guy that can play full-time point guard. Right. I think that at a point you kind of might need him to play a little bit of like a secondary ball handler or have him be like a lead scorer. Um, I also don't know if he's going to be able to. I mean, Donovan Mitchell and Kemba Walker are both guys that can average 25 a night. Right. I don't know if he's quite that level. Um, I think that there are some things that make you believe like he could get to that level, but it's still a little bit of a you're, you're still betting on him to, to continue developing. Um, and that's a little bit of a risk when you're betting on a guy that's already what, like in his fourth year in college, 22 years old. Yeah, I don't care about that. I don't care. Like I, I hate that. Well, no, um, it, it 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 shouldn't it shouldn't limit from what he not, is right yeah. now, right? But you should also be able to say, well, okay, it makes it less likely that he's going to end up being a guy that can do this. Like the guy that sure. let's take Buddy Buddy Heald for example, right? Buddy Heald was 24 when he got drafted, 23 or 24, and it was fair to say at the time that it makes it less likely that he can continue developing at the rate that he was developing because he's already to a point where he's more or less a finished product when you're 23 or 24 years old. Now, to his credit, Buddy Heald continued developing and got better. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't get better. It just means that it's less likely that you will because when you are younger, there, that, that trajectory goes yeah. up like this. Um, and I'll, I'll, the last thing I'll just say about Davion, is that uh, what he can do on the defensive end is unmatched. So if you can get a guy that has the potential to be able to score the way that Kemba Walker or Donovan Mitchell does, that can pass the way that he can pass, that is going to be a Patrick Beverly defensively, no matter just don't understand why you would bet on like a Scotty Barnes over him or a Moses Moody over him. Right, guys that have very real questions. So. Right. Well, especially Scotty Barnes from a shooting standpoint. I mean, again, Davion has gotten better at everything he did. Still, the greatest thing for me was was well twofold. And you got you got to tweet it out after we're off. You, you got to tweet out the Davion Mitchell uh, everyday John uh, clip uh, from from our interview with him earlier this year. That was fantastic. Not good, fantastic. 
Uh, he didn't even he didn't even try to pronounce the name. He was like, no, no I'm not. You got to tweet that out. But number two was when I was talking to Davion for a while, him telling me, so at Auburn, he was stuck behind uh, two really good guards, right? Uh, Bryce Brown and, 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 and uh, Jared Harper, right? Those two? I'm trying to remember. I'm so tired. Yeah. Those were the two. He stuck behind. And they had another year left after uh, Davion didn't play much his freshman year. and So he transferred. And I said, I'm like, all right, who came calling? You had to have a, a long list of suitors. You were a top, you know, 50-ish kid coming out of high school. And he said, no, it was like nobody. Like, I didn't really have many schools at all. And Baylor was set up, like, through somebody else who worked him out, uh, had a relationship with somebody at, at Baylor and uh, one of the coaches. And that's how it happened. And, again, it just shows, like – and I did that story on, obviously, how Baylor was built, but, like, how they – a lot of luck is involved. A lot of luck. Davion Mitchell being one. Adam Flagler and Maceo Teague being two guys that transferred that had one scholarship offer apiece, that Presbyterian and, and UNC uh, Asheville. Um, you know, it just – it's Jared Butler started his career, people don't know this, at Alabama for two months and, and then transferred to Baylor in the summer of his freshman year. Um, the bigs. Every day, John wasn't highly recruited. He, he, you know, he was a transfer from UNLV that most people didn't want. He was averaging like three or four points a game. Flow, you know, Matthew Meyer. Um, he told me Texas A&M backed off. He was like, "Yeah, I don't know why, but like they didn't want me eventually, and I didn't want to go to Texas. I was an Austin kid, so basically, I went to Baylor." And uh, I, the coolest part, and I tweeted this this morning, Rob. Well, hold on. Part, One thing I just want to push back on you on. Yeah. I don't think that that's not luck, right? I don't think that it's luck. Like thing, things happen in recruiting, but it's development too. It's a it, lot of development. And it's it's the ability to identify talent, right? The ability yes. to look at Macy Oteague yeah. and say, okay, what that guy can do can translate to the Big 12. Let's go get him. Look at Adam Flagler and say, okay, what that guy can do, yeah. there's a way sure. that we can make take that take that skill set and make it work in the Big 12. Look to look at every day John and say, okay, that kid that's raw, we let's bring him in. Let's, we'll work with him. We'll make him better. Uh, they did the same with Devontae Bandu last year. Um, Freddie Gillespie, who came in as a D3 transfer, and they turned into a guy that is is on NBA. I think he's got a two-way contract right now, right? So it's – yes, you're, you're right. Like There's a lot of – to be able to win anything in sports, like you have to have luck. People stay healthy. People continue to develop. Like everybody that you bring in all gets along. Like they, they, Your shots go down at the right time. Um yeah. You have to have luck to win a championship, but I don't think that it's luck that all of this stuff worked out. I think it's the credit to the staff that put in the work to figure out, okay, this is how we build our culture. These are the guys that are going to fit. These are the talents that we can find yeah. that we can make it work. Like it's not if at some point if you There's keep some finding diamonds. Yeah, but like I guess I guess my, my I guess my biggest yes exactly. There, there's always luck involved. Like you can't win anything without being a little bit lucky. But the the point I'm making is that if you always if you're a program that always finds diamonds in the rough, it's not fluky that you're the program that always finds sure. diamonds in the rough. Does that mean yep. you know what I'm saying? Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, 100 percent. Um, as I was saying, the, the, the coolest part of, of last night for me, uh, was you know, with like four minutes left, I'm like, so different this year, you can't go down the court after the game, so usually you're ready to go on the court so you can talk to the players. Like back when Kentucky won it all, I remember I was standing right there and, and 
Anthony Davis is cutting down the nets. And, and I asked Warlock, I'm like, hey, can I get him? And he brought him right over to me. And, like, you can just – you can get stuff done in the court. Obviously, this year you're not allowed down the court. The, the players, it was cool, were able to, to celebrate with their families at the convention center after everything was over. But the only access you have now is, is to people in the stands. So, for me, with four minutes left, I walked over to the Baylor section. I had seen Bryce Drew and Homer Drew and, uh, and Scott's mom and uh, before the game walking through the concourse and we were talking for a little while. So I knew where they were and walked over and just kind of at the end of the game, just watch them as much as anything. Just watch them. And, and again, Scott's wife was bawling through her mask, you know, crying. His kids were like beaming with pride and, you could see Homer, who, who Scott says he gets his optimism from, um, you know, couldn't have been happier. And it, it was just like those are the coolest moments for me uh, covering this sport. The, the the games are awesome, but I think the people are, are equally as awesome in terms of watching and, and seeing a guy like Scott Drew take over what he did back in 2003. And, and I asked him this question at the end of his press conference last night. I said, you know, there were so many people that that hammered you through through the years. You know, first it was you would get players and outwork other programs in the state specifically, but really anywhere, and people would say you were cheating. And, and then when the NCAA went in and investigated them, they didn't find anything. And then it became, all right, he's getting top 10 players um, and, and he's not winning with them enough. He's going to Elite Eights, which is pretty darn good at Baylor. But then it was – uh, he can recruit, but he can't coach, you know, a change. And I said, what, what's this mean for you personally? And he didn't really go there. He, he told the story um, about how uh, uh, Jerry Colangelo talked to his brother's team and, and said, you have to appreciate this because you never know if you're going to get back because of Colangelo with the Phoenix Suns. But ultimately, how much does this change the perception of Scott Drew going forward now, Rob? I think it does a lot because a lot of people still associate that program with, I mean, look at the same time that they were getting those top 10 players coming in um, and, and landing some of those recruits. If you remember, there was uh, like the lace Darius Dunn domestic violence incident and he came back and played on the team. And there was the, the entire thing with Hannah Perea and the assistant coach that, that was texting. Yeah, um, so there was a while where, the part of the narrative was okay. Baylor can't win big games. It's fun to make fun of Scott Drew for not being able to coach, and um, and it was easy to dislike them because of the things that were going on around the program. And right. I think that part of what we've seen, part of the reason why they've, they've made the growth, they have in the same thing with like Villanova and Zag is like they, they've developed a culture where, for the most part, like they're getting just really good human beings to be involved yeah. in the program. And I think yep. that that matters way more than people realize. Like Fran Fischella made this point um, the other day, and I think I, I agree with it wholeheartedly. Part of the reason we're seeing some of these teams make runs that make their runs is that, like UCLA, incredible culture that that Mick Cronin has been able to develop, where everybody wants to play hard, everybody works together, and they have enough talent to make it happen. And uh, when the shots go down, you're going to have a chance to win. Um, and I think that with 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 Baylor and with Gonzaga specifically, with Villanova as well, like. Most of the the really 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 good teams that we've seen in the last couple of years, they developed an incredible culture. So um, all the credit in the world to them. All right, Jeff, you got to get out of here because you have to get ready to go catch a flight. Uh, for some reason, listen listen to how smart Jeff is. Everybody, 
he has spent the last three weeks in Indianapolis, and he is flying home from Chicago because that is the way that it should work. It's uh, the only direct flight. There's no direct flights anymore out of Indy back to Boston. So instead, um, I'm gonna- – Oh, so they asked, when are we getting the Arizona announcement? We broke this news last night, guys. Jeff Goodman has been named the new head coach at the University of Arizona. He's already coaching. I don't know there why you, you have the yellow hat on right now. Breaking so, news. I'm, I'm, I'm working on my staff as we speak. Again, the front runners, um, Gilbert Arenas, uh, Damon Stoudemire, and Mike Miller. And uh, the combined worth of those three, I, I believe, is $400 million. So the bag is going to be deep. Drop a bag on them, Jeffrey. Drop a bag on them. All right, guys. This has been fun. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in all season long. Seriously. Um, the reason we were able to make this be uh, an effective thing was because people kept consuming the content for some reason. It seemed like people uh, were interested in what we had to say. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you guys were able to put up with Jeffrey this long because uh, I've talked to him every day at 9 a.m. For, for five straight months. Jeff, I cannot wait to not talk to you tomorrow. It's going to be great. Yeah, thank God. Uh, listen, I need the rest of the week off from you. Uh, it's been real, though, Rob. Uh, we had fun doing this. I, I don't think anybody can say uh, anybody else covered the sport like we did this year. Every single day uh, from the start till the end, every morning. <laughs> Why would you? Why would you do what we did? We're, we're I don't know. And I don't know if we'll ever do it again. But we did it this year <laughs> in the pandemic. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we will see you soon. We will, we, we will try something here, you know, sporadically. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.